Well, hello, First Baptist family. We're returning now to our lecture series on systematic theology. Today's lesson is on pneumatology, really part two. Last week, we looked at the nature of the Holy Spirit. And remember, when we're speaking of the nature, we want to always ascribe all of the attributes of God the Father and God the Son to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser God. Uh, The Holy Spirit, like the Father and Son, is truly, truly God. Now, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we saw last week, each have various roles within the Trinity. And Dr. Summerhill uh, gave us some good instruction on that. And if you missed that last week, you might want to go back and listen to last week's lesson before you jump in today. Um, But you'll remember that Dr. Summerhill pointed out that God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were all present at creation and all had a role in creation. And that's also true at the other great work of the Trinity, which is redemption. God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. God the Son broke into human history and accomplished our salvation. And God the Holy Spirit brings us salvation through the miracle work of regeneration. And today we want to continue on that theme of the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we'll do that today. We're also going to look at the concept of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to look also at uh, spiritual gifts. And then we're going to be joined a little later by a very special guest. You'll want to stick around to the end for that interview. So there are about at least three things that we want to say that the Holy Spirit accomplishes. And I've already alluded to the first one. It is regeneration. And that is another way of saying new birth. The classic New Testament text about the new birth is the Gospel of John chapter 3. Tyler, will you read for us Gospel of John chapter 3, verses 4 through 6? John 3, verses 4 through 6 say, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Well, Jesus is talking, of course, to a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who came to him under cover of darkness. And their conversation was a very important one. It has to do with how we are made right with God. And Jesus made it clear that it was not through self-effort, it was not through reformation, but it was through the miracle work of the Holy Spirit in which a person is said to be born again. And it is the Spirit, Jesus says, that is at work in our salvation, opening our blind eyes, breathing spiritual life so that we may express faith and do works of repentance. And the second great work and role of the Holy Spirit is His indwelling presence in our lives. We touched on this last week. We said that in the Old Covenant, Uh, The primary way in which the Holy Spirit worked is that he would come upon an individual for a specific task. But in the New Testament, at the moment of regeneration, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in the hearts and the, the lives of every individual Christian. We find that in places like Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Tyler, please please read Romans 8, 9 through 11. Romans 8, 9 through 11 say, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so we see there in verse 9 that all Christians have the spirit dwelling within them. In fact, the Bible says if you do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you're not saved. You don't belong to Jesus. We see that also in 2 Timothy 1.14, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. And then the third great work of the Holy Spirit is one that we have a little harder time relating to because uh, we don't have this concept much in the modern world, and that is the concept of sealing. In the ancient world, kings used to affix their seal to official documents. They would roll up uh, a piece of paper that had a contract on it or some edict, and then they would melt some candle wax, and he would uh, set his signet ring, his seal, over that document so that uh, first and foremost people would know that it was his property, and then if someone violated that seal by opening it, opening it, it would be obvious for all to see. And that concept of sealing is found throughout the New Testament. Um, the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit seals us or marks us permanently as belonging to God. So, Tyler, will you read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the praise of his glory. So those are the three primary works of the Holy Spirit. He uh, regenerates us. He, he, that is, he uh, does the miracle work of regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, he comes to live within us. Paul says a similar thing when he says that uh, our bodies are the temple of God, that is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And then he seals us, the Bible says, until the day of redemption. Now there are other specific tasks and roles of the Holy Spirit we find in the New Testament. Uh, for one, 1 Corinthians 2 says he helps us understand the Bible um, because uh, he inspired the authors of Scripture. Uh, John 16, 14 says that he brings glory to Jesus. Uh, Ephesians 5, 18, he fills believers. Romans 8, 26 and 7, he intercedes for us according to God's will. Uh, Romans 8, 15 and 16, he bears witness that we are children of God. And of course, this gives us assurance of salvation. Um, as we said last week from Ephesians 4, he can be grieved when we sin. Uh, one of the primary roles of the Spirit, according to the Gospel of John, is that he convicts us of sin. And that happens, of course, through the preaching of the Word. The Scripture says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing a message about Christ. And then we take it that the Holy Spirit takes that proclaimed message and uses it to convict us of personal sin and and God's judgment that is to come. And, uh, and then, very importantly, to our sanctification is that he helps us put to death that uh, indwelling sin in our life. And so, uh, just as the, the Father and Son and the Spirit are all present and active in creation, the Father, Son, and Spirit are all active in our salvation. Through justification, uh, he gives us... Uh, new life, through redemption, and through regeneration. And throughout our lifetime, the indwelling Spirit is sanctifying us. He's making us more like Jesus and separating us from sin. And then uh, he will 
keep us and has sealed us permanently to the day of glorification when uh, we're free of the sinful presence and power uh, that is all around us. And so that is just a brief summary of the work of the Spirit. Now, um, most of you have had some exposure to the concept of the fruit of the Spirit. And so if you have your Bible, let's turn now to Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to ask Tyler to read verses 16 through 26. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26 say, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So in verse 16 through 18, the Scripture says that we walk by the Spirit. That is, if we walk by the Spirit, we won't obey the flesh. So there seems to be the concept of a, a battle going on between um, our new nature in Christ and this old residual flesh. I'm often reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7. And this was at a time in his life where he'd been a Christian for some time. And he uh, said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And so Paul was cognizant of the fact that even though he had made great progress in sanctification, he was assured of his salvation that so long as he lived in this flesh suit, this body of death, he called it, it would be an everyday battle against sin. But the Holy Spirit helps us, and to the degree that we submit to the Holy Spirit is the degree to which uh, we make progress in sanctification. Um, and, and all of you have experienced that. If you've been a Christian any time at all, there is this conflict between uh, what we know we should do and what we should say and what we should be and uh, this um, body of death that, that continues to draw us to, to the lust of life. Um, but, the, but the Scripture says the works of the flesh are evident. Look at verse, verse 19 through 21. Uh, he has a list here, and this is not... An exhaustive list, I take it, but a representative list. There's sexual sin, there's idolatry, there's sinful anger, drunkenness, debauchery. Um, and, and so th these are things that when we see them as a pattern of life in a person, we can't expect that person to have any sort of assurance of their salvation. On the other hand, if a person's pattern of life which are called here the fruit of the Spirit. And what the fruit of the Spirit is, there's nine um, words here that are really attributes of any growing Christian. These things need to be present in your life. And if they are present, 
uh, in any degree, it will give you assurance of, of salvation. But if they're absent, um, there will be an absence of assurance of salvation. And so, of course, uh, let's just sort of walk through these nine words. The first there is love, which, of course, is the, the key to everything. The Apostle Paul says, I speak with the tongues of angels and men and have not love. It profits me nothing. Um, joy, which, of course, is that fixed happiness that is not determined by our circumstances. Um, everyone experiences moments of happiness, whether you're a Christian or not. But he's speaking of that attribute that we can have joy despite negative circumstances because, as Hebrews 12, 2 says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our salvation, for the joy set before him. That is, he can look past our present circumstances to know that there's glorification on the other side. Uh, peace. Now, when we speak of peace, uh, we speak in two categories. There, there's peace with God. Um, don't forget that before you were saved, you were at war with God. You were a rebel. That's how he viewed you, and that was reality. But we have been brought near. That is, we've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus, and we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we can have peace with other people. That is, we can have uh, in our uh, horizontal and vertical relationships, we can know peace. But then there's a third idea about peace in the Bible, and that is peace of mind. That is contentment, knowing that we are right with our God. Um, and so we maintain that peace by believing and trusting him and in obedience. And when we willfully, stubbornly continue in patterns of sin, there will be an absence of this peace. To the degree that we obey Christ, there will be the presence of that peace. Uh, another one of the attributes of fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering. That is, we're patient, slow to anger. Now, you're probably picking up that what, what these attributes are are really the attributes of God. Uh, a couple of lessons ago when we were talking about the attributes of God, these are they. He is merciful and long-suffering. He is gentle, which is the next fruit uh, of the Spirit. That is, uh, he is kind. There's an absence of harshness and severity with, with other people. And, and then the next one, goodness, which is, is virtue. That is, he always does what is right and good and, and righteous. Faith, uh, what we mean by that is faithfulness. Uh, fidelity, we could say another way, loyalty towards the things of God. Meekness, which is similar to gentleness, it, it's humbleness, in other words. Uh, and then temperance. And uh, we Baptists have, have taken that to mean uh, not addicted to alcohol, but really what it means is self-control and uh, not going to extremes on, on either side. And so there you have the, the fruit of the Spirit, and that's a very practical list um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a test that you can hold up to yourself, a mirror, if you will, to see that you're making progress in sanctification. Now, there, there's another concept as it relates to the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is likely, I will say easily, the most controversial, and that is the idea of spiritual gifts. There are at least three lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, Ephesians chapter 4, and Romans 12. And so for our time today, I think we're going to uh, use 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we'll walk through that. And if you have your Bible, let's turn there now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read these verses myself. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4. 
Paul writes, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And so the one, one of the wonderful things about theology, the more you get to understand God, you realize that the more we know, the more we want to know. And as Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, he, he wanted to have us to have a deeper and a wider understanding of who God is, a greater appreciation, in other words, for his deity and our salvation. And as you study the Lord, and, and that's what theology is, the study of God, you come to understand that he is incredibly varied in the way that he reveals himself. And, and that's true in the church. You just think about our church, which has about 2,500 active members. We have people from all sorts of backgrounds, um, wealthy people, people who aren't wealthy, educated people, uneducated people, everyone in between. Uh, and the Lord has distributed in that congregation all sorts of spiritual gifts that are meant to glorify him, but also benefit every other member of the church. And one of the great things about a true church is that it has people at, at various places upon the, the continuum of sanctification. You have brand new Christians all the way up to strong, uh, mature believers. But you also have people with different spiritual gifts in the church. And, and by the way, um, these three lists that we find in the New Testament, the spiritual gifts, are all a little different from one another. Uh, none of them are identical, which tells us that they're probably meant to be representative lists. We're not saying these are uh, the only gifts, but here's a representative list uh, in the New Testament. And, but the thing that's clear in those, those three verses that I just read is that there's an incredibly uh, diverse variety of spiritual gifts in, in the Lord's church. Now, these spiritual gifts uh, are empowered by the Trinity. Now, you can see there, God the Father is named, God the Spirit is named, and of course the Son did the work to making us right with God so that we could have these gifts. Um, every believer, I think this is very important, you might want to mark this on your um, study guide today, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says this, but one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Mark that phrase, to each one. That's very specific. In fact, we could say is each and every one. That is, there's no true Christian who lacks a spiritual gift. I've heard people say, I don't know what my gift is, or I don't think I have a spiritual gift. Well, the Bible says if you're truly a child of God, if you've been born again, you have at least one spiritual gifts. It is the Holy Spirit's decision which gift you receive. It says just as he wills, he distributes these gifts to individuals. And so if you don't like your gift, <laughs> you have to take that up with the Holy Spirit because he's the one who distributes uh, those gifts. And of course, he does all things well. Now, each gift, very importantly, as I said earlier, is to be used for the good of the church. No one is given a spiritual gift for their private amusement. Uh, look at verse 7. It says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, I hear people say from time to time, Well, I can be a Christian. I can have a vibrant walk with God and not be a part of a local church. Well, that's not what the Bible says here. The Bible says you've been given 
a spiritual gift for the common good. And so if, you're, if you've not attached yourself to a local church, not only are you suffering because you're not receiving the benefit of all those other people's gifts, you are depriving your brothers and sisters of the gift that God has given you. And of course, we are going to be held accountable in, in, in a sense of stewardship for how we used these gifts that the Lord has distributed through his Holy Spirit. Now, uh, it's important to know that uh, it's not a competition. No one, I take it, possesses all the gifts. This is the beauty of a church, that, that different ones bring different gifts and strengths and weaknesses uh, into each congregation, sort of like a marriage. Uh, a marriage is intended uh, to be complementary, that both bring their gifts into the marriage for the good of the whole. Uh, look at verse 28. It says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? And all do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? And so he's saying that, that not everyone, or in fact, no one has, has all the gifts. Uh, but he says, as I quoted earlier, the more important thing than all of these gifts is love. No matter how many gifts you have, uh, whether they're gifts that are out front or behind the scenes, more important than all of that is love. I think that's a good place to, to stop right now because we have a very special guest today, and we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We're joining us now by telephone from Bozeman, Montana. He is a friend of First Baptist Church of Keller. Many of you remember Justin Peters. Justin is a Christian apologist. He and his wife, Kathy, live in Bozeman. Justin, welcome to the program. Thank you, Keith. It's uh, good to be here, brother. I appreciate the invitation. Well, first and foremost, uh, how are you and Kathy and your family doing through the coronavirus lockdown? We are doing well. I tell people that other than a little bit of cabin fever, we are we are otherwise healthy by God's grace. And so uh, doing fine. We sure are. I'm glad to hear that. Well, our class today is on pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. And Justin, you've done as much study in that area as anyone I know. You've written extensively about the Word of Faith movement, the charismatic movement. You speak regularly about it. Um, a question we often get is, what is the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Can you explain that to us? Yes, Keith. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is uh, some phraseology that is um, at home with the Pentecostal charismatic crowd but it's become so popular that it's made inroads even into at least theoretically non-charismatic evangelical circles, and there's a great deal of confusion about it. So uh, first and foremost, this is going to surprise a lot of people, but the Bible never commands us to be baptized with the Holy Spirit or uh, by the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible, that is not a command you will find in Scripture. The baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, if we're going to use that phraseology, we would look to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Paul says, For by one Spirit, by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. 
So if you want to go to a text that talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it would be 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, but it's not really of the Holy Spirit, it's by the Holy Spirit. And what that is in reference to is regeneration. This is the new birth. This is conversion. When a person is convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment by the Holy Spirit of God, convicted of his lost condition, convicted of the truth of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit grants faith and repentance to that individual, conversion takes place, the new birth takes place, and that is when we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. So that is that is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit is. It's not this second blessing. It's not that you get part of the Holy Spirit when you're saved and then you get the rest of him later. Uh, that's that's not it at all. So there's there's one baptism by the Holy Spirit, and that's when he baptizes us into the body of Christ through the new birth, uh, repentance from sin, faith in the merits of Christ, what he did for us on the cross. Now, the Bible does command us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the go-to text for that is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, when Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that is a command. That is an imperative. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So now the question is, what does that mean? Well, when you look at that phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit, in the Greek, um with the Holy Spirit in Numati, it grammatically you could either say with the Holy Spirit or you could say by the Holy Spirit. In which case, in the latter case, if it's by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would not be the content of the filling. Rather, he would be the agent of the filling. And I know a lot of people have had this question because I get asked a lot, what does it mean to be, you know, why do we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do we lose some of him? You know, it's like, a lot of this, a lot of people have this idea that it, you go to bed at night filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you wake up a quart low. You know, he, does he ooze out of our pores? Does he leak out somehow? Do we have to get more of him? No, that's not the right. That's not the right concept at all. When a person is saved, that person is given all of the Holy Spirit he or she is ever going to get. The Bible says uh, that the Holy Spirit is given without measure, so we don't get two-thirds of him, three-quarters of him at conversion, and then we get the rest of him later, and then overnight, some of him leaks out. We have to, you know, get more of him back in. No, if you're a Christian, you are indwelt by the third person of the Trinity Godhead, the Holy Spirit. So I would submit to you that the Holy Spirit is not the content of the filling. Rather, he is the agent who does the filling. So if he is the agent who does the filling, now the question is, okay, well, what exactly is the filling. What's the content of the filling? And I think we find the answer to that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So Paul here says that the content with which we are to be filled is actually the word of Christ, the scriptures. And this is one of the Holy Spirit's primary roles in the lives of us as believers. As we read and study the Word of God, He illumines the meaning of God's Word to our hearts, to our minds, and the Word of Christ dwells richly within us. As we progress in our sanctification from the moment of conversion all the way up to the 
to the time we die. Uh, the Word of Christ is to dwell richly within us. He gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us that desire and ability to read and study God's Word. And so the content of the filling is actually the Word of God. So a couple of years ago, you were involved in a pretty famous conference called Strange Fire out in California. And the debate of that conference has to do with the apostolic gifts. Are they still available and operative today? Can you uh, sort of walk us through the terminology surrounding the uh, apostolic gifts in that debate? Yes, Keith, that's a great question. So broadly speaking, there are two different positions on this question, uh, cessationism and continuism or continuationism. If you are a continuist or a continuationist, that means that you believe that all of the spiritual gifts, including the apostolic gifts, also known as the sign gifts, continue to be in operation in the church today. And the apostolic gifts would include the gift of tongues, better said, the gift of languages, because the biblical gift of tongues was never speaking in unintelligible ecstatic gibberish. It was speaking in known languages. It was just uh, a language not known to the one who was speaking. And it would be like me all of a sudden being able to speak fluent Swahili. It's a known language. It's just not known to me. And so the gift of languages, the gift of interpretation of languages, and that's a separate gift, by the way, from the gift of languages, and also the gift of miracles and the gift of physical healing, that these apostolic gifts, the sign gifts, continue to be in operation. Um, that is the charismatic position. Now, the cessationist position, and of which you and I would be card-carrying members, is not the belief, as a lot of people think, it's not the belief that all of the spiritual gifts have ceased, only that the apostolic gifts, the sign gifts, have ceased. As cessationists, Keith, you and I would uh, fully affirm that the gifts of teaching, mercy, administration, exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of hospitality, all of these gifts are very much in operation in the church today. Only the apostolic gifts have ceased. And uh, one of the big problems that the continuous position has is that is that there are no more apostles today. Now, there are people who claim to be apostles, but they don't meet any of the biblical criterion for what a true apostle, capital A, apostle of Christ is. They don't meet those requirements. There are no more apostles today, and so if there are no more apostles today, then there cannot be any um, apostolic signs today. Um, let me also say real quickly that it, a lot of people mistakenly think, oh, if you're a cessationist, you don't believe that God heals people today. To the contrary, I am very confident that God not only can, but on occasion does physically heal people today, but only when it is his sovereign will to do so. I affirm that what I reject and what you would reject as cessationists, we, we reject that anyone today actually possesses the spiritual gift of healing. When some, when God heals someone today, he just does it because it pleases him to do it. That's not the same thing as saying that someone today, a believer, actually possesses that gift. That's comparing apples and oranges. Well, let's talk about what's going on in the world today. Uh, you know, of course, that there's a pandemic going on. Uh, there are those out there claiming that they have the ability to heal or to banish COVID-19 from the face of the earth. Many of those are a part of what's called the Word of Faith movement. Can you tell us a little bit about that movement? I know it's a specialty of yours. Uh, what to watch out for uh, among those who hold such views? Yes, absolutely. So since we've been talking about continuism 
and cessationism, let me say that um, all word of faith are charismatic, but to be fair, not all charismatics are word of faith. And word of faith movement is, it's rooted in the metaphysical cults. It teaches some very aberrant heretical doctrines. For example, it teaches uh, the little gods doctrine, teaches that you and I as Christians, we are little gods, teaches that we can speak things into existence, teaches that all of the benefits of the atonement, including healing, are to be fully realized this side of heaven. Uh, they teach what's called kenosis. They teach that Jesus completely divested himself of all deity and did everything that he did on earth just as a man and actually atoned for our sins, not on the cross, but down in hell. So this is the Word of Faith movement. This is uh, people like Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and Creflo Dollar, uh, Todd White, uh, Keith, right? I mean, you're sandwiched between Kenneth Copeland, uh and Todd White, and then Robert Morris is also a word of faith, Gateway Church. So this is a heretical, thoroughly heretical movement. Bill Johnson, Bethel Music, Bethel Church, and all of that, that's heresy. Uh, that's the mainstream of the charismatic movement. I know we don't have time in a 20-minute interview to go deep into this, and our people will be interested in finding out more about what you have to say. Uh, you've just finished a new project. It's a rather lengthy video about the COVID-19, and it exposes a lot of these false teachers. Uh, how can our people access those videos? Sure, Keith. Yeah, they can go to YouTube, go to YouTube.com, and then search for Justin Peters Ministries, uh, my specific channel. Now, there's a lot of uh, teaching of mine on YouTube that other people have put up, but look for my channel, and you can subscribe to it. And so anytime I put up a video, you'll get a little email notification saying, something in effect of Justin Peters just put up a new video, and you can watch that. But, uh, yeah, the specific video that you mentioned, it's, the, I guess, the most ambitious video I've put up thus far on my YouTube channel, and I, I've put a lot into it because I've never seen anything, Keith, that, uh, like this COVID-19 pandemic that has more irrefutably and utterly exposed on every conceivable level how completely bankrupt the word faith movement is and the prophetic movement uh, on every conceivable level, on the integrity level. I mean, I document patent lies by these individuals. The integrity level, the, the theological level, uh, the, the prophetic level, none of these prophets. I mean, you, the, the charismatic movement is literally teeming with self-professed prophets. And, and many of them gave prophetic words back in January about what the year 2020 was going to hold, and I've got all this documented. None of them saw the COVID-19 pandemic come, not a single one of them. <laughs> and so it's just like, so what good are you? You know what? And, and even, after, even after it started and we were in the throes of the pandemic, and they, were, they started giving prophecies like about it in, in March and how it would end in mid-April, well, here we are, this recording, early May, and, um, you know, here we are. It's obviously has not ended. So it's, you know, I mean, it's just utterly laid them bare and, and shown how, how worthless the whole movement is. Well, Justin, we certainly appreciate your work in helping the church be discerning, and that's really why we have this systematic theology class. We never want to believe or think or even teach anything about God that is less than true, and you've been very helpful in answering our questions today. Uh, many of our people may not know, but you have an itinerant speaking ministry where you train churches in the area of discernment uh, all over the world. Um, and 
I know you travel uh, a lot, but that travel schedule has been interrupted by the virus. So when's the next time you're scheduled to be in our area? In June, uh, on June 12th, 13th, and 14th, I'll be in Denton, Texas, uh, just north of you there, at uh, the church at Pecan Creek. June 12th, 13th, and 14th. Well, if you've never heard Justin speak or it's been a while, I know he's got a lot of new material. You'll want to attend that seminar. It's just about 15 miles up the road in Denton. And Justin, we look forward to having you back at First Baptist Keller before too long. I would love that, Keith. Justin, please give Kathy our love. And as always, we want to close our class by praying for you. Is there anything specific we can pray for you and Kathy? Yes, Keith, and uh, I appreciate that very much. Um, let me all, let me just say that First Baptist Keller is a special place in my heart. Love all you guys. And, um, but the way you can be praying for us, and, and this is going to sound like a Sunday school answer, but it, it really is true. Kathy and I want, more than anything else, um, want to honor Christ in everything that we do. And, and related to my ministry, and, and not only what I teach, the content of what I teach, but also how I carry myself, how I comport myself. Um, I want to bring honor and glory to Christ. So I want to I want to please Him and and represent Him well to a to a watching world. So um, that is our prayer. That we just honor Christ and what we do, what I teach, and, and the, how we carry ourselves, that we represent Him well. Thank you for your time, Justin. Let's let's close our class in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, this time to come together, to gather around your word. We thank you for the things we've heard today, and we thank you especially for our brother Justin Peters and his wife Kathy. We pray your protection over them. We pray for good health. We pray for safety as they travel all over the world taking the gospel. And Father, uh, we pray that you would continue to uh, enlighten our minds and our hearts as we study theology as we said earlier, we never want to think or say or teach anything about you that is not correct. And so, Father, we thank you for this class and pray that it would bless many. Pray you dismiss us now with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.